on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champions. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Fan. ESPN Radio 97.7. ESPN Radio Utica Rome. What's happening, Mohawk Valley? Great to have you on board as always. You can listen on the ESPN app. That is a glorious way to listen to this show. I mean, come on. It's a picture perfect afternoon. It's 72 degrees, sun shining in central New York. It's fully summertime. The kids are out of school. You're out, you're about, you're doing things, so please take us with it. With you, we like to go places. We like to see the world. We like to see what you're up to, except the bathroom. That's kind of gross. So download the app. Find the uh, ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Utica Rome in the Listen tab, and then you're off and going, and we're going with you. Crystal clear audio on the ESPN app. All great ways to listen to the show. Don't forget we have a podcast that comes your way. So you can listen on demand when you want. Just subscribe in iTunes or Google Play to ESPN Syracuse, and it's just that easy. Here's how you get in touch with the show. Would love to hear from you. 437-7644. That's the phone number. You can always hit me on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The On the Block text line is 288-0644. Lots to come today. One hour from now, top of the 5 o'clock hour, we will talk to Stephen Bailey, our good friend from Syracuse.com. It's June 25th, as I mentioned, summertime settling in, but recruiting never stops. And Syracuse football had a big recruiting weekend, not only by volume in the number of commits that they got, but by quality. In a particular recruit that they got is one of the highest rated members of this upcoming class. So why the flurry of commits over the weekend? Who are these guys, and how will they fit into Dino Baber's plans in the near future and beyond? We will discuss a little Syracuse football an hour from now with Stephen Bailey, Syracuse.com. Thanks, Brent. You're welcome, Coach. Blindside as usual. We do it every Monday. Always fun. Ten questions, and only one man knows what they are. That man is Seth Goldberg. He will come in the studio. He will blindside us all with 10 questions, and we just have to react on the fly. We've got to stay head on a swivel, on your toes, ready to react. That's what we do every Monday on the show. We have a lot of fun doing that. Hot takes is usual to come. We're going to discuss Carmelo Anthony's legacy today. My man cashed in over the weekend, and good for him for doing so. Billion dollars. Not quite, but it was a lot. 
for basically doing nothing. And I would do the same thing if I was in his case. You give me that kind of contract. I'm if That's a you problem if you want me to bow out of that and become a free agent. But we want to get into his legacy a little bit, where he goes from here, and that's great that you cashed in. This is America, after all. But what's, what's this mean for Melo going forward? Because he seems to be resistant to change in a lot of ways. He doesn't have to change, say, his bank account. But there are things that he has to change if he wants to you know, kind of shape his legacy before he goes. Big-time college football money. College basketball money. Billion dollars. Not quite, but if you save what Big Ten teams are getting annually now from their television deal, you might reach a billion dollars sooner than you think. The other thing is, I want to relate this to Syracuse in the ACC because their network's about to start, and will they be in this category sooner than we think? So all that to come, but I want to start with the Mets, and this will kind of spill into a different conversation, but it's a question that Met fans have to ask themselves often. And Met fans, you know I like to joke with you, so I will get it out now. And that joke that I have for Met fans is always, I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning sometimes. The Mets are just doing Mets things again. This doesn't surprise you. I am am friends with a number of Met fans. I follow a number of Met fans and Met people on Twitter, and it's just this constant stream of aggravation and negativity and frustration and some of you questioning why you got into this, right? Why you became a Met fan. And it's just the latest. And Mike Vaccaro wrote a brilliant column about this. I should tweet this out, but you can certainly find it on his Twitter feed or on New York Post's uh, website, which is nypost.com. And I'll just read you parts of it here, and this is just... This is normal. This is routine for Met fans, but it's kind of worth reiterating here. And what Mike Vaccaro writes here is, quote, The Mets want you to believe they have a handle on all this. They want you to believe that they are adequate traffic cops directing all the baseball chaos that continues to befall and befuddle them, that they aren't the abject joke of malpractice and incompetence they seem to be to the naked eye. That's a hell of a lead right there, by the way. goes on to say this. They want to sell you on that so badly. And then Sunday afternoon, the team reports to Citi Field having no idea who the starting pitcher was. This was not due to some outside-the-box thinking on motivating players or going old school back to when a pitcher would learn he was starting that day because the manager had placed a baseball in his spikes. No, this happened because Jason Vargas hurt himself jogging on Wednesday in Denver. The Mets knew that, though it didn't seem bad enough at first to warrant a DL stint. He goes on to explain... You know, number of things about the Mets, how unfortunate it is that they're AAA teams in Las Vegas, which, starting next year, guess where that AAA team is? Oh, here in Syracuse, right? Which, you know, you, you sense that's coming, right? You sense this is where I'm going with this. But as Vicarro writes, but the AA team is in Binghamton. That's a three-hour drive tops. Someone could easily have been summoned. And then... The column goes into how, and I want to read you one more part of it here. And Vicarl writes this. You can gripe about how cheap Mets ownership is, and that's 100% fair. But you can win with a $150 million payroll. Sandy Alderson has been the man building this product top to bottom for eight years. And with one notable two-month exception in 2015, 
highlighted, remember, by an acquisition of Giannis Cespedes that only happened when deals for Carlos Gomez, Justin Upton, and Jay Bruce couldn't be consummated. It has been a fiasco of failure in what will almost surely be six losing seasons. The biggest question around the Mets shouldn't be if they should trade cornerstone assets Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. It should be this, as Mike writes. How can the Wilpons possibly think it's a good thing to trust Alderson to make these critical decisions? What about his track record in building eight Met teams tells you that would be a good idea? Can't really argue with any of that or some other points that Mike makes in that comp. Now, there's two thoughts, actually three, that I want to get into here. One of which is, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but you and I, and I believe I said this last year, maybe we were a little premature in saying it, but maybe that reality starts to sink in, given that once the trade deadline passes, there is no reason to watch the Mets, even if you are a Met fan. But I'm just going to throw it out there. As Mike Vaccaro noted there, there is a double-A affiliate of the Mets in Binghamton, and there happens to be a player on their roster whose last name is Tebow. I mean, you know it's coming. Once the Mets become officially dead in the water in terms of having a competitive season, and once they make their trades, which surely they will, and once Sandy Alderson botches these trades, which is a safe bet, now you got about two and a half months where you've got to be relevant and interesting. And there's always a core of fans, especially in New York, that will show up. They love baseball. They love the Mets. You can differentiate sometimes and sometimes you can't, whether these are fans or whether they're suckers for continuing to show up and support such a bad product. But to inject that life, to prove a point, when somebody getting desperate and Alderson has been on the record saying that he believes Tebow can make it at a major league level. Well, there's only one way to find out, right? So you and you and I both know Tebow time's coming. Just just be ready for it. Have your hot take ready on that if and when it happens. That's hot. Because you know it's coming, right? The second point I want to make here is, yeah, that's encouraging to read when starting next year, the Mets take over the Syracuse Chiefs. Now, there's always the theory of regional loyalty. A lot of people have said throughout the years that it makes sense for either the Yankees or the Mets to be the AAA affiliate of the Syracuse Chiefs. By the way, I'm one of those people because I feel like day to day you can do the greatest promotions in the world and the Chiefs are doing a great job with that. But you've got to have a baseball base. You've got to have a baseball interest there. And there's only so far the Toronto Blue Jays could take you. There's only so far the Washington Nationals can take you, and they've put some great prospects here, right? But if you're going to have a baseball base, at least make it a regionally interesting team, which neither, I mean, you can argue Toronto's regional, but it's, you know, I mean, they're an entirely different country if you want to get into that. The Nationals, it's a six-hour drive to D.C., but the Mets are the Mets. They have New York in their title. There is a strong base of Met fans in this area. It's nowhere near as passionate, as vocal, and as relevant as Yankees fans are. But they're there. 
you know, on an off night, if you're a Met fan and they're on the West Coast or you just want to get out and enjoy a beautiful night like tonight, you're more inclined to go watch players that you are going to root for as opposed to, you know, say, the Pawtucket Red Sox. So from that standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm as curious as anybody to see how this goes because it's not community ownership anymore and the regional thing and tapping into what people have felt for a long time is an obvious choice. But then you read stuff like that and know the reality of what the Mets are, and then I say to myself, as an objective viewer, as somebody who's not emotionally tied to this at all, except for you know those four years when I was a kid, when I loved Doc Gooden and I was a, air quotes, Mets fan, right? But having no emotional attachment to this whatsoever, I say to myself, well, is it a good thing? Because this organization can't get out of its own way. And I think what really struck me there was when Vaccaro pointed out, other than a two-month window there in 2015, this has been an abject failure. It has been nothing but disappointment. It has been nothing but bad trades and bad moves and embarrassment and always being second fiddle to the Yankees. I mean, I said it at the time. It was laughable. that I, It was some Facebook poll or something. I remember writing about it and discussing it on this show that some polls show that the Mets were more popular than the Yankees in New York City. And I said, are you insane? And it was off that run of that World Series, and maybe they captured some of the, you know, the, the Fairweather fans that you know, were just kind of riding that wave. But that that's just insanity. There's just too much built in with the Yankees to even have that discussion. But that brings me to my third point. And it's the most central, rooted point that we come back to on this show or other places when it comes to being a sports fan. It's a simple question, and it's not always one that is simple to answer. And it is this. Why do we root for the teams that we do? And I think the answers to that start with, well, where you live. And then you go to, well, my dad was a fan of and passed it down to you, or my mom, or somebody close to you, your family, your uncle, a buddy, right? Somebody in your close circle, when you are at that impressionable age, let's say between five and nine, when most of us make the choice of who we root for, you cling to that. But high on that list, at some point, is going to be, well, there was a point in time when this team that I rooted for was successful. The reason I am a Buffalo Bills fan and will be to this day, and there's a loy- to, to the day I die, and am to this day, I should say, is there is a certain loyalty there. I was born and raised in Syracuse, New York. This is Bill's territory, so the regional thing sort of works there. Well, it's not like I'm from Buffalo and I'm kind of obligated to root for the Bills. I could drop them like a bad habit if I wanted to. You know the real reason, though, that I continue to root for this football team? When I was at an impressionable age... As a sports fan, okay, when I was starting to really figure out what sports was and I wasn't just going because it was fun to go to games with my dad, like when I started to figure out the sport, they were winning. They won three straight divisional titles and were going to AFC championship games and going to Super Bowls. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. <laughs> and then they stopped doing that. But I remember that. I know what that high is like. I have experienced that. Why are Yankees fans Yankee fans? 
You can tell me about how your dad loved Mickey Mantle and the regional aspect of it. They win. They're consistent. It pays off. Why are you a Syracuse basketball fan? Again, you grew up here. Somebody close to you in your family was. You went to school there. College is a little different, right, because you can be an alum of the school. But at the heart of it, why are you so passionate about Syracuse basketball? The answer is consistency. Jim Beheim has never had a losing season. You get a payoff for your loyalty because they win, and they win regularly, and it feel like your time, your effort, your money, and what you invest in being a Syracuse basketball fan will pay off. So I'm circling back here, and I'm like, why should I be excited about the Mets coming here? Why should a Met fan still root for that team? And I'm not saying to bail on your team. I'm just saying there's got to be a return on this investment. There's got to be, why do I do this? And I think a lot of Met fans are now in that category. Younger fans, I don't know what your story is other than some of the things I brought up, you know, regionally, family, or something like that, that kind of obligates you to be a fan. But I'm thinking, like, if you started to root for, say, the Buffalo Bills around the year 2000 and just experienced an 18-year playoff drought, what reasons would you have to ride out that loyalty? You don't, right? Like, sports are so weird that way. We are loyal and passionate for things we should not be that do not return that investment sometimes. So, Met fans, look, I'm only half joking sometimes when I say, how the hell do you get out of bed in the morning and root for that baseball team? Right now is another one of those times. Now, can they turn it around? Can they get a good deal for Jacob deGrom? or Noah Syndergaard, or salvage something out of this season? Maybe. But I think Vaccaro and any Met fan that's in this boat is right to be skeptical that he is the man to fix it, that there is hope to turn it around. And the NL East, you know, the Nationals have had injuries, and they are nowhere near the team they should be, though they're going to probably still end up winning this division. Atlanta's great. That should not be a surprise that they turn things around. So you're not getting past them. But the Phil, where do the Phillies come from? And we've talked about that a bit with Seth Everett and Jared Diamond and the baseball guys that we get. And we're entering that, you know, for about another month, you'll be engaged because they're still kind of sort of in it. And what are they going to do with the deadline? But once the deadline passes and it is truly the dog days where only diehards need apply, give me a reason that that loyalty should exist and give me a reason why I should be excited that they're about to run our AAA baseball team. Because at the heart of it, at the end of the day, no matter who runs the Syracuse Chiefs, I want AAA baseball here because that's good for this area. But when you see who's running the show and where this seems to be going, let's just say you're, you know the faith meter dwindles a little. And on that note, we shall break. Certainly can discuss any of the things we just discussed there. I kind of morphed like three different topics into one, though, but they all kind of come out of that discussion. So we can do that. Stephen Bailey coming up later. We'll go on the blind side. We're going to discuss Carmelo Anthony's legacy. We're going to go on hot takes. But I'm going to come back to something next that I've stated a number of times because the numbers keep going up here but remain 
stagnant in a key area. I'll explain what I mean, and it has to do with college sports. Billion dollars. No, Coach, it's not quite that much, but it's a lot. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. On the Block. Presented by Fusillo Automotive. This beautiful Monday. Only in Syracuse, New York. Can you get a 50-degree temperature swing in the summer in the course of a week? So tonight it's going to go down, according to a meteorologist to the stars, Wayne Mahar, uh, into the lower 40s. When we wake up tomorrow morning, we're going to be coming off of lower 40s. It's going to be a chilly morning. Later this week, forecasted high in Syracuse, New York, is right around 100 degrees. And that is not counting humidity. 50-degree swing in late June in summer. You got to love it. So it's going to be pretty hot later this week. So why don't you say we do some hot takes? We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. It just writes itself sometimes, folks. It just writes itself. Congratulations to Hall of Famer Mike Francesa. That's right, the National Radio Hall of Fame listed its 2018 inductees today. And amongst the many names on there were three or I should technically say four sports radio icons. Mike and Mike in the morning made the National Radio Hall of Fame. A lot of you certainly remember the fabulous sports babe who was a, I loved the fabulous sports babe. She was one of the first radio shows to be simulcast in any format, let alone sports radio. She knew her stuff. She was aggressive. She had great callers. She had great sound effects uh, I don't know what happened to the Fabulous Sports Bay, but I believe she's doing local radio in Tampa now, but she was a trailblazer in so many different ways. Nancy Dollarman is her name, and she got in, but it all pales in comparison, of course, to a man who got into the Hall of Fame, I think for this rant alone, the sports poet Mike Frances. I had to do, it had to do with, we had our fourth team on the field. We didn't have a four-team field goal block. What the heck do you need to block it for? Let the ball go through the uprights, you jerk. So we called timeout to get the second-team field goal block in there. What a bunch of garbage that is. He sells you that, he'll sell you anything. The guy iced him, plain and simple, because he wanted a shutout. Here comes the best part. And he got some grief, so he came up with some lame excuse that the alums could sell somebody. Anybody watching knows that is complete nonsense. The guy kicks it again and misses, right? That's the bottom line. So I hope he was proud of himself as he ran across the field. You know, I hope he was proud of himself for getting that 56-0. I hope he was real proud of him. I hope he was proud of himself on a coach's show. Show it a few times. Wait for it. A lot of class, coach. A lot of class. Wait for it. So go get yourself a Honda, Bay Ridge Honda. You know the deal. Get yourself a Honda there. You got a good price. Go see him. Abi Sabah and everybody, go see him down there in Honda. All right. That's the bottom line. Mike Francesa, H-O-F.
And you know why he's an HOF? Because of ads like that. So go get yourself a Honda at Bay Ridge Honda. You know the deal. Get yourself a Honda there. We had a good price. Go see him. Abby Sabah and everybody, go see him down there at Honda. That's uh, a master at work, folks. That is the Mickey Mantle of Sports Talk Radio gracefully doing his thing. That is Michael Jordan. That is LeBron James. That is the GOAT. That is why when Mike Francesa signs your autograph, there'll be an HOF next to it. That is giving an advertiser the best bang for their buck they possibly get. Go down there. Get a car. They got good prices. You know, go do it. Come on. What am I wasting my time for here, people? Let's go. Get down there. Get a car. That's hot. You know what them people down there at the Honda? Go get them. After an epic rant about James Franklin running up the score on a team, he seamlessly sold. About 500 Hondas that day. So go get yourself a Honda at Bay Ridge Honda. You know the deal. Get yourself a Honda there. We had a good price. Go see him. Abby Sabah and everybody, go see him down there at Honda. All right. That's the bottom line. I want all my ads done like this from now on. Get get down there. Just come on. Go see him. Whatever you're selling, I'm just going to do your commercial that way. Just get down there. They got pizza. Go get it. Just go down there. I got cars. Just buy a car. Come on. You know the deal. I got good prices. I could save so much time on this radio station. Get on down there. Just go. You know, they got uh, you know, got the heaters and the coolers. And they can just, just buy it. They got good prices. Go get it. That's hot. What are we doing here? The man revolutionized radio for a reason. H-O-F. Mike Francesa, Hall of Famer. Our buddy Scooter brought up sports betting. And we have this here on Hot Takes. This is interesting. Because I think more teams, both professional and college, are going to do this. And I think they they should. So the Pittsburgh Pirates are keeping a very close eye on the sports betting thing, and they want to cut. Specifically, they want what's known as a, quote, integrity fee, specifically to fund repairs at their stadium. The University of Pittsburgh wants a cut of bets. Penn State doesn't want gambling, but the Pirates want a cut to fund stadium expenses. In a letter from their team president, quote, We've been engaged in constant dialogue over the past five to seven years with city, county, and state officials about the need to allocate a funding source to the capital needs of PNC Park. It stands to reason that a portion of the revenue collected from sports wagering should be allocated to the maintenance and capital upkeep of PNC Park and other sports-based facilities in Pennsylvania, which provide for sports wagering in the first place. That is a very savvy way to ask for taxpayer dollars public money. See, it's one thing to go beg the state for taxpayer dollars, right? But if you are allocating and you are specifically saying the money that is coming in that you are surely going to get from this sports betting wave that's about to hit this country, why not funnel that back to maintain upkeep of the places these athletes who are being bet on play? Now, because it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, I wouldn't hold your breath for how much is going to be bet on you But the theory is correct. So how does Major League Baseball, the NBA, the National Football League, which has pretended for years, I'm shocked to find that gambling's going on here, sir, and that's why our sport is so popular, right? How do they then turn around, hold their hand down, and say, what are you going to do for me? And by the way, they've got a good reason to. Because it is their athletes that are being bet on. It is their players that are being bet on. So you can be savvy, you can be up front, you can be first in line on this, like uh, Adam Silver is, pardon me, the commissioner of the NBA, and then you can get the back of the line and wait your turn and pretend that you were for it all along. But how do colleges, 
How does a private school like Syracuse University get in on this? I mean, I can't put a time frame on it, but there is going to be a time in the not-so-distant future where wagering on athletes, it's normal now. The last step to normalizing it was making it legal, right? Think about how you feel about legalized marijuana now versus how you did five years ago. Some of you may still oppose it, but it's now an industry. There are certain parts of this country that you can go to a mini, I, I was about to say a mini mall, that's not the right way to put it, like a, a plaza, right? You can go to Panera Bread, you can go get your new glasses, you can go to the liquor store, then you can go to the marijuana store. I've been to these places. It's called Colorado. Like, the marijuana store is right next door to, like, you know, the sweet frog. I mean, it's like, not literally, because there's kids and stuff, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's right there. Sports gambling is going to be that normal in the next five years because it's already normal in other walks of life. The lottery, for example. This is going to be sports wagering. It's going to be in your face. It's going to be point of purchase. It's going to be on your phone as an app. It's just going to be normal. And the teams are starting to get in line, and the leagues are starting to get in line to figure out, how do I get me some of that? That's hot. And they make a really good point to do so. I think we all agree the National Football League could use a PR burst of a good kind, right? It just seems like it's misstep after misstep and whatever rules they passed and the latest being the anthem controversy and trying to address that. And of course, President Trump jumps on that and and embarrasses the National Football League and, and exposes the loopholes in their plan. So the NFL, despite its status as the number one sport in this country, the billions of dollars, right, Coach? Billion dollars. They continue to roll in, keep stepping in it PR-wise. So here you have a member of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I don't know if you're familiar with this story. So Laurent Tardif is an offensive lineman for the Kansas City Chiefs. He is a medical doctor, literally. He has earned his medical degree. He is officially Dr. Tardif. So what he wanted to do was put MD on his jersey, like you would say junior or the third, or just your last name. And the NFL did not go along with this. Now, on one hand, I can see why, because it's the old precedent thing. Well, if we put MD on jerseys, then we've got to put X, Y, and Z on jerseys, right? But MD is like an official title. Like, that's what people call you. I mean, I'd almost rather he put Dr. Tardif on the back of his jersey than MD. But either way, first of all, if you're the NFL, this is one of those moments you got to say, hmm, so we have this concussion thing going on where everybody thinks our sport is dangerous and a doctor is playing football? See, he thinks it's safe. We all know the difference, but doesn't hurt to say, hey, yeah, head injury's bad, but here we have a doctor playing football. So putting MD on the back of a jersey would seem to be a pretty darn good idea. But this being the NFL, well, we can't set precedents. We can't do these things, right? They are so hesitant to rock the boat. Well, I got news for you, NFL. The boat's rocking anyway. Your image is not good right now. People will watch football because they bet on it and fantasy football and the routines of 
once a week and the Sunday viewing that we do. And, and it's ingrained into people. But they're starting to break those habits and, and question why they watch football because of President Trump, because of the concussion thing, because a younger generation is starting to flee elsewhere. Look at the World Cup and how popular it is right now. And football is football. And it, it's it, Rome certainly did not fall in a day. And the mighty National Football League is not going to crumble out of our sight here in a short period of time. But it's death by a thousand cuts, right? And the more you keep stepping in it and doing stupid things like this, the more people are not going to have the fierce loyalty to you that you've enjoyed over the years. Ah, it's just putting a name on a jersey. What's the big deal? The NFL has this image as being stuck. I mean, they fine you if your socks are too long, right? Meanwhile, other sports are embracing this stuff. They're embracing younger generations. Their baseball had all nicknames on jerseys for a weekend last year, right? And, you know, the NBA is putting ads on jerseys and doing so many things that the NFL and its old guard of owners just refuses to bend on. I mean, it's one thing if somebody wants to throw a he hate me on their jersey. This is a doctor. You need this PR. Yet, well, we can't set a precedent on that. No, you're the NFL. You can do what you want, including, you know, get a little good PR when it's needed. On that note, we'll break. We're going to talk more football coming up, but that of a college variety. Stephen Bailey, Syracuse.com, on a big recruiting weekend for Syracuse football. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.